The Question Lane. Solving problems through the process of questions and answers. I would just like to welcome you to the question lane where the goal is to solve problems through the process of questions and answers. Today's guest is Kenneth Montgomery. He is a criminal, civil rights, and personal injury lawyer from the law offices of Kenneth J. Montgomery in Brooklyn, New York. Um, law, also known as the yeah. area, law is going to be something we're going to focus on today for our interview. Uh, specifically okay. suggestions on how to solve problems without creating more. So I would just like to ask you, uh, you know, how would you like for me to refer to you, Mr. Montgomery, Mr. Montgomery, oh, Kenneth? You can, call, you can call me Kenneth. That's fine. Perfect, Kenneth. I'll go with that. So um, is there anything you want us to know about you before we get started? Mm, no, unless you got some questions. I, um, you know, I've been practicing law for 21 years. I teach it. Um, I teach at Fordham Law School in Brooklyn College, former prosecutor. Tried um, a lot of cases in my lifetime, both federal and state, probably around 70 to 80 trials. And, um, you know, I'm here. So whatever you, whatever you want to talk about, I'm game. Perfect, perfect. Why did you become a lawyer and what interested you in becoming a criminal defense attorney? Um, I became a lawyer because at a young age I was aware of how Malcolm was uh, dissuaded from becoming an attorney and his teacher told him that, you know, black people essentially don't become attorneys, that he should become a carpenter. And I also was um, very aware of what had happened to our people historically. Um, I didn't know all the facts as a young person, but I knew that something was off. So for me, becoming an attorney um, in my mind would, would put me in a position of, of, of power and, and knowing things so that I can be a resource for the community. Why I focused on criminal stuff is because I wanted to be a trial attorney, and that just seemed to be uh, where most of the trials were. So that that's what led me in that direction. And and also, you know, it was it's a place where you, in the criminal side, you're you're going up against the government, and I and I and I, I like that. So that that's why I chose that path. Perfect, perfect. So when you say Malcolm, just to be clear for the audience, you're talking about Malcolm X, correct? Yeah, yes. I, I read uh, the autobiography at a really, really young age, and um, I, I, it really moved me at a young age, and, and um, that, that's what, that was one of the reasons why I became an attorney. Perfect, perfect. So uh, one of the things I like to focus on for the podcast is words and definitions, mm -hmm. and I know you will have a definite appreciation for this since you are a mm -hmm. criminal lawyer. So. Mm -hmm. One word that I hear a lot is racism. Mm -hmm. Racism, what does that word mean to you? Um, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a word that to me helps describe America and Western culture. Um, it's, a, it's a tool for some um, to make sure white supremacy is the rule of law and order in which everyone um, revolves around. And, and, and racism is how it's done. And not just towards black people, but other, other people outside of the, um, outside of whiteness. I heard a podcast host a while back 
who gave a definition of racism, and I thought that it was very, very descriptive and pretty accurate. So I just want to see what you have to say about this definition. So mm -hmm. when he used the word racism, and I'm talking about um, Gus T. Renegade, he hosts a podcast called The Cows, just for our listeners. Um, mm -hmm. Racism, he uses that word as a synonym with white supremacy. And what he means by that is racism is a global system of people who classify themselves as white and are dedicated to abusing and or subjugating everyone in a known universe whom they classify as not white. Do you think that is accurate? Yeah, that's accurate. It's hmm. pretty accurate. It's kind of sort of similar to what I just said. Um, yeah, it's a tool to, to maintain a certain order in which the, the world uh, revolves. And, and, and it, it's, it's used every day. It's subtle in some examples, and it's grotesque and overt in others. But it's, it's definitely uh, a way, a, a system that, that, you know, the world seems to follow. Good, good. So another word that I want to focus on is justice. And being a lawyer, I'm always curious to hear what uh, people that work in law, because I don't work in law, obviously, but I'm always curious to see what is their definition of the word justice. Um, <laughs> I think justice is a very uh, subjective, ambiguous term, in my opinion. Um, I think that it, it's really, depending on who you're talking to, you get a different um, result. And I don't think it's, it, it, it's, a cliche, it's become a cliche in American uh, jurisprudence rule of law, in my opinion. It's a cliche. Are you familiar with uh, Neely Fuller Jr.? Absolutely. Okay, uh, Neely Fuller... Nilly Fuller Jr., uh, author of the Compensatory Code System Concept, he has a definition for justice, and his definition is guaranteeing that no person is mistreated and then guaranteeing that the persons that need the most help gets the most constructive help. So do you think that mm -hmm. is an accurate definition of justice? I mean, it, in a perfect world, yeah, that is. But when you have a system that's influenced and informed by racism, um, and and uh, inequity, um, justice is, is a very intangible thing to, to lay your hands on. In theory, I think it's absolutely right. But in practice, I, I don't think it, 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 it works out that way. Okay. I think people have to define their own justice before you start going to the American legal system to figure out justice. Hmm. So one of the things that uh, I'm on the younger side, so I wasn't taught this in school, the concept of the Dred Scott decision, and uh, yes. it took me going to college and after college for me to understand what this uh, concept was about. Can you briefly explain what the Dred Scott decision was? Dred Scott is a case, uh, Sanderford is actually the, the, the full name of it, but the Dred Scott decision is probably – in my opinion, the most important Supreme Court decision ever laid out for several reasons, particularly in how uh, black people are, are treated in the United States. Um, it 
it basically was the, the, the decision was written by a, a Supreme Court justice named Roger B. Taney. And he essentially said that um, that the white man, that the, a black man has no um, no rights that a white is obliged to respect. Um, and that decision really lays out our relationship to America, our relationship to capitalism in America, our relationship to the law in America, um, and, and it really sets, uh, sets a, a, um, a precedent as to how we are treated in this, in this country. So even in 2019, when you have these decisions uh, by the Supreme Court concerning gerrymandering, when you have a debate when that next black person is killed by police, when you have predatory lending, when you have all these different issues, to me it really stems from what is in the heart and soul of this country when it relates to black people. And in that decision, it sets the standard, which is that we're not human. And they don't have to, they don't have to respect us. And, and, and I think since that decision, you know, the facts show that People may disagree with Taney, but he was absolutely right as far as how America would treat us. So what do you think is the biggest problem that black people face in this country as of today? Um, it's a lot. I think um, we don't control our ecosystem. We don't control our leadership. We don't control our political ascension in this country. We don't control our socialization, our economics, and most importantly, we don't educate our children. And when you don't educate your children and you don't control your ecosystem, um, you are in the way and on the wrong end of most of these American policies that we deal with every day. And even when you look at the leadership, what is our le- look at our leadership. What is our leadership, Al Sharpton? Kamala Harris, Cory Booker, um, Jesse Jackson. Um, where, where, what is our leadership? Oprah, uh, Jay-Z, the, the recent labeled uh, billionaire entertainer, uh, LeBron, Howie. Like, what is, what is our leadership? What is our cultural default? We have none. Um, we, we've become a part of the American spectacle. But most, the most dangerous part is that we don't control our education. Yeah, I, def- I definitely agree with that. Education is a very important factor when it comes to developing the minds of the youth and helping them to solve problems because uh, yep. um, I would say for me the biggest problem is, like you said, just not being in control. That's just a simple way that I would explain it to a five-year-old, not being in control. <laughs> not being in control. We're, we, we don't control Period. our, our any, anything in our community is beyond our control. And we don't teach our children. Perfect. So, perfect. you know, there's no black nationalism in this country. Hmm. How can you not be national, black and, and think nationalistically and think you're going to have a way to control your child's future? Uh, something that I always want to, always wanted to ask a lawyer about. Conspiracies. What mm-hmm. is conspiracy? 
as it relates to the law? Well, the conspiracy when it relates to the law is when someone conspires or confederates with one or more people to commit a crime. Um, that's what conspiracy is. And you can conspire with someone to do something illegal, but even your your act doesn't necessarily have to be an illegal act. I'll give you an example. If me and you conspire to sell drugs and your role is to rent the vehicle um, so that I can take the cocaine to another state and sell it, renting a car isn't illegal. However, the purpose and your role in that in that conspiracy would be that you provided the vehicle, even though what you did, that's legal. But it's basically conspiring with someone to 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 break some law, state or federally. So it sounds like there's a lot of discretion as it comes to dealing with judges and dealing with prosecution. Is that correct? Um, I mean, discretion in what way? Discretion in the sense that what could be considered conspiracy versus actually being accused of doing something as an actual crime. Where well, you know, if you're if you're robbing a bank, you got caught in an act. That's a, a act. If you are fighting someone, that's an act. But if you are talking about fighting someone on the phone, that could be considered conspiracy. Is that correct? Depending on what that is related to. If you're on the phone and we 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 solidify that we're in a gang together, and I and the reason why you're gonna beat or we're gonna beat this particular group of people up is to um, spread our power in our gang or take over certain territory, then yeah, that conversation can be construed as a as, as um, something towards a conspiracy. Understood, understood. So one thing that I want to talk about here is solutions because there's a mm-hmm. lot of people who talk about problems, and I'm one of them. Mm-hmm. I'm guilty. I'm the mm-hmm. first one to put my hand up. But, uh, but making the change towards talking about offering solutions and suggestions is something I want to get into this year. So okay. when it comes to traffic stops or – Law enforcement officers come into your home. What do you suggest mm-hmm. is the protocol towards dealing with those type of situations? Well, one is to speak intelligently. Two is to always know that you have a right to remain silent. No one can come into your house with that unless you invite them or you consent or there's some set of emergency circumstances or if if or barring all those other things, they got to have a warrant, have a search warrant. Um, That's one if you have a house. As a car, you know what? Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah, he's not, I'm sorry, he's not coming. Um, You know, if if, if it's a, um, if it's a car stop, technically the police have to have a reason on why they're stopping you. Um, It can't just be because they feel like it. Um, it has to be some sort of, um, you know, if they think criminal activity is afoot, if there's some furtive motion that they feel their life is in danger, those are some of the things that they could do. Now, what police officers often do is they conduct pretextual stops. In other words, they'll say you 
um, did an improper lane change. But they only did that because they want to pull you over and search you for something else. So you got to be careful of that. But for me, I think what most citizens should understand is that they have the right to remain silent and they have a right to ask questions and ask those questions and don't implicate yourself or any, in any crime, but ask questions. Don't let officers in your house if they don't have a warrant. Um, police officers come to your car, they want to pull you over, ask them why they're pulling you over. Don't consent to them searching your vehicle. Um, those, those are some of the things that you have a right to do. So it sounds like you're saying the importance of asking questions and mm-hmm. staying silent strategically yep. would be yep. the best bet going forward. Yep. Absolutely. Are you fami- Are you familiar with, there was a case in Arkansas where it was a young man who was meeting up with, I guess, family at a gas station to go back to another part of the city, and he was pulled out of his car. Are you familiar with that case? I don't think so, no. Okay, there was a, there was a guy, I don't, I'm, I don't recall his name right now, but like I said, he was meeting up with family at a parking lot at a gas station to go to another part of the city, and the cops mm-hmm. were called for whatever reason. And what he mm-hmm. did was he recorded himself on Facebook saying that, you know, uh, this guy's threatening to kill me. He was referring to the cops. And uh, mm-hmm. the guy was telling him to, the police officer was telling him to turn the car mm-hmm. off and put it in park. Mm-hmm. But he said he didn't want to move his hands because he didn't want to get shot. So do you think really? something like uh, avoiding an officer's commands but keeping your hands in the air where they can see them, would that be something that you suggest that people do, or what's your suggestion Listen, on that? You, um, that's always, that's definitely something that will keep you, see, I'm not, you should always do something that's going to make sure you are, you live to tell your story. So anything that you're doing to protect yourself is always a plus. Using your phone to record is always a good idea. Absolutely. I would turn on my phone and record any interaction with any law enforcement officer. I think that's always a good strategy. And and I think that's I, – I don't see anything wrong with that. Hmm. There was an article that came out last year that talked about a former state senator in Brooklyn. I think his name was Jesse Hamilton. I know Jesse, personally. Oh, okay, okay. He mm-hmm. – um, he proposed some type of legislation where there would be penalties for people who excessively call 911 on black people for just doing mundane things. Do you Mm -hmm. think something like that, I'm not sure the status of that legislation or if it got passed, but do you think something like like that would be something that black people should focus on across the country? Or do you think that's kind of something that's not possible? That's for politicians. I think if black people want to change how, when, 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 uh, if this, if this, if we're concerned about how this system treats us, laws isn't, you know, people who, who legislate that they, they do that. Let them do that. But that shouldn't be our main focus. Our main focus should be about protecting our children, protecting ourselves, um, making sure that people are held accountable when we aren't protected or when we were treated unfairly. Um, 
forming police, uh, forming neighborhood watch groups in our own community to watch the people who are supposedly coming in there to protect us, watching the people who come to our communities and don't necessarily respect it. Um, we should be doing, com- coming up with other paradigms and constructs, not just waiting for these politicians to come up with ideas when, when, a, when something hits the fan. That's my opinion. One of the big ways that I find would be something that would be possible in countering this system is entrepreneurship. I'm really big with entrepreneurship and building uh, businesses and working with others to solve problems. How important do you think entrepreneurship is for black people to solve our problems? Well, it's not the sole answer. I think you have to back that up what we just talked about a little bit earlier, which is education. You can have, you know, you can have all the, think about entrepreneurship, how many black people are into entrepreneurship. Our problems haven't gone away because Oprah has a successful business or Jay-Z has a successful business or Robert Johnson has a successful business. There's always been successful businesses of black people in this country. That's not, that, that's not an issue. We've always had successful businesses. What we need to fight white supremacy is not individual uh, success or businesses. It's having a, our own ideology on how to socialize and, and, and evolve in this system. So, yeah, entrepreneurship is, is great for capitalism. It puts you in a position to provide for yourself and your family. That's great. But when it's talking about black people's problems, that's two different things they were talking about. If your business is socially, if it's socially responsible towards something, yeah, great. But not all businesses are about that. And when I say business, I'm referring to companies that are in the neighborhoods where there are black people to employ them and to offer different okay. opportunities of that sense. Okay. I'm, not talking about, I'm not talking about like Oprah or Jay-Z. Yeah, but, I, um, I know what you're saying, but sometimes we get, we, you know, our model is that. It's not really locally in what we're talking about. Local business, if it's responding to the issues in that community, is always a plus. If it's informed by the right things and the, and the direction of the company, um, is coming more than just making a dollar, that it has some social value to it. Another concept that I'm really interested in nowadays is uh, jury nullification. Mm-hmm. I ran across this concept by watching an old clip on YouTube of uh, Paul Butler. He's a, a professor at Georgetown. Yeah, I know, and, uh, I know Paul Butler. Yeah, he had a very interesting concept of uh, how we could counter this type of system when we're dealing with the law. What is your opinion on that, and you think that's something that black people should uh, work on? Well, here's the problem. Many black people don't even want to serve on juries. So to get them to understand the, the concept of, of jury nullification, would mean that they would have to be educated on the rule of law and what's going on in these courtrooms. Most people are not aware of what's going on in these courtrooms unless there's some sensational case or it's a personal um, experience. So I have no problem with that, but you need to educate people after that. And right now we're not educated on the legal system and what happens in those courtrooms. 
to even think about why you would not, what jury nullification is, you literally would have to be aware and educated as to what are the issues in the criminal justice system and how they're playing out in these courtrooms. But it, it, it has to be an educational process. When we look at a lot of cases that occur across the country, I'm in Florida, you're in New York. Uh, every day there's people getting shot across the country, and uh, if they are, if the perpetrator of these crimes are brought up on charges, for some reason, if they're black, if the defend, I mean, if the victim is black and the perpetrator is white, there's a high likelihood that the person gets off. Do you think yep. that what do you think that white people on these juries are practicing jury nullification uh, without thinking about it, or what what would you uh, call that type of phenomenon? No, that's that's called racism playing itself out in our legal system. Um, yeah, they're aware of what they're doing. They're absolutely aware. Um, I don't think they're doing what they're doing unconsciously. I think they, as white Americans, understand their position in this white supremacy space that we're in, and they also understand that in the, legal, the legal system is one of the areas that reinforces their, their racism, and they, and, they, and they do that, and, they, and they, they, um, there's nothing that holds them accountable. And talking about the law and white people, there's a word that's always used in law to kind of denote justice or equality, and that word is fair. Do you find a problem <laughs> with using that word as a lawyer? And if so, why? Uh, it's, it's, I don't have a problem with it, but uh, the, the use of the word um, is subjective. Uh, you know, usually the, the person who's deciding what's fair or not is the person in charge and in power. And most of the time, the person in power is not concerned about what's happening systemically to black people. So when people start talking about fairness, you got to start paying attention to who's doing the talking and what role do they play in the system. You know? And I bring, up, I bring up the word fair because fair has multiple meanings. It could, people use it in the context of law, and people also use it in the context of being light or uh, pale. Yeah. So it's one of those words... Different, different people with different meanings to different people. Mm, mm. So another thing that I want to ask you about, workplace racism. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people who go to work, they may have issues and they don't know how to solve their issues. What are some suggestions would you have for people to not only be productive on their jobs, but to help them solve problems when they arrive? Um, well, you got to think wisely. I think if you're at work and you're experiencing uh, inequity due to racism, I think you should keep a journal um, uh, to record and memorialize all the inequities that you're dealing with. And I think you should seek counsel, an employment discrimination lawyer who has experiences with dealing with those types of cases and, and sit down with them so that you'll be aware of what your, what the, what's owed to you and, and, and what EOC things that you can do and, and how to hold these people accountable. But first got to start recording it 
uh, memorializing what's happening, and then you got to seek legal counsel. Journaling is definitely something I agree with. Perfect, perfect. Uh, something else that I would suggest, and I want to see what you have to say about this. What about uh, under, like before someone gets hired, read the employee handbook, the corporate manual, etc., front and back, and to ask any questions before a person starts the job so that they know exactly what's expected of them from the beginning to the end. What is your thought process on that? That's called being educated and well-informed. You can never go wrong with that. Thank you. She definitely, that's something that we all should become accustomed to doing. Yeah, I'm, I'm asking because uh, I've never in my life heard anybody talk about a, cor- a employee handbook or reading the corporate manual when you start a new job. That's just something that I've yeah, never but you heard should. of. Yeah, you should. You, 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 you know, most corporations, all of them have them. You should be aware of what's there. Thank you. you can't be I agree. Happy to be there. <laughs> you got to know I agree. the lay of the land. Yeah, because a lot of a lot of what I'm getting at now with staying calm, asking questions, journaling, reading the employee handbook, etc. It's about being ahead of these problems so that you're prepared to deal with them as they come. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Perfect. So uh, the last thing I want to talk about here is politics. Mm-hmm. I know, I know, you, I know your opinion on politics as we spoke about it a little bit earlier. But what is what is your opinion on the reparations topic that a lot of these politicians are talking about now? Um, it's, it's a hot topic. It's a waste of time, in my opinion. You're talking about a brutal, diabolical place that burned your burn citizens who look like you um, and enslaved us for financial gain to build the economy of the country. Um, and you are going to convince them through the conscience, through some intellectual conscience, to do the right thing, which is to compensate the group of people who they've wronged for hundreds of years. That shit ain't happening. These people are diabolical. Um, what does that mean when you give them that power to begin with? Um, and, and I just think it's a, it's a great intellectual topic that has no legs in this country as this country exists in the, in, in the form and the manner in which it, it currently exists. So all of the candidates from Kamala Harris, Cory Booker, uh, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, etc., when they talk about reparations, is it safe to say that they're just using that as some type of ploy to get black people uh, to consider voting for them? Or do you think yes. they're sincere? I, there's no way to tell how sincere they are. We don't know these people. They're, they're, they're pretty much celebrities who have a brand to protect, and that brand is their political uh, viability. Um, so who knows what their integrity is? You know, but the question becomes, what are they doing besides saying they would do it to push that issue? And unless you put in a bill forward or you're doing some, something else, um, it's just a waste of time, in my opinion. Uh, you know, you, you can't distinguish whether they're serious or not. 
the way I the way I distinguish it is I I haven't seen any legislation and I haven't seen any budgets. So yeah, it's a, it's a talking point. So what 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 would you suggest going forward with the 2020 election going on uh, uh coming up in the future? Would you suggest black people look at Democrats uh not vote? What's your opinion on that? Um yeah, uh Hold on, I'm sorry, you said, what was the last part of the question you said? Should they vote Democrat or Republican? Um, I yeah. don't think any black person should be beholden to a particular political party. Um, I think voting in general, we should take what, you know, elders like Stokely Carmichael and Fred Hampton was utilizing with voting, which is it's an organizational tool. Um, certainly... You know, you're talking about two parties that promulgate the same white supremacist principles. Um, so um, I, I think you should definitely vote your intellect and your conscience, but you should have information to vote. And if you're only voting something or someone because of their political, their party affiliation, I think that's, you know, I think... I think black people have enough in history to show how that doesn't necessarily work on our behalf. I'm of the belief that personally, if there's not a candidate who is offering solutions to solve in part or as a whole, the problem specifically that black people face that I don't believe voting would be a constructive use of my time. Is that, I do an accurate use of um, logic, it or is that something it, 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 that no, uh, I should no, reconsider? No, listen, no, I think that if that's where you're at at this point in your life, I think that's that's well thought out. You're not the first person to think like that. Um, I, I, and I think that that comes with some intellect. I mean, you know, the question becomes, what else are you doing to, to remove the social, political, economic, and academic alienation to our people? If you only see that through voting, then that's a limited way of looking at it. If you see that there's so many other things that you can influence or you can be a part of in changing the narrative, then you, you do that too. The, the thing is, is to do something. Whatever, whatever you know, your paradigm you come up with is to, to do something, to be effective at something. I don't think voting is the end-all or be-all, no. Particularly when you're not grooming the people who you're voting for, or the choices that you have to vote for, and those people aren't being groomed in your community. You know, they don't have any accountability to your community. Cory Booker has no accountability to black people. Neither does Kamala Harris or, or any of these candidates of color. Neither did Obama. And they tell you that. First time they open their mouth, they're saying that, yo, I'm the, I'm the, I want to be the president of all Americans, not just black people. So that's, is that our leadership? Well, according according to Senator uh, Mitch McConnell, he said the the uh, election of Barack Obama was our reparations, and we should be uh, well, satisfied with that. Well, fortunately, you know, I'm not. I don't give a damn what Mitch McConnell thinks about what happens to black people or where we're at or what's owed to us. You know. Mm. I agree. I agree. So, um, just to wrap up here. 
being calm, asking questions, mm-hmm. journaling, and holding people and holding people accountable, reporting them for for the things that they're doing that they're not supposed to be doing, making a record of it. Because silence is a tool of oppression, so not being silent in the face of inequity. So uh, you talked about education. Um, Books is something that I got into a little bit later after college, and I wish I would have read more while I was in college and while I was younger, but what are some books that you would suggest that would um, open up the minds of not only the youth, but just black people in general to learn about the system that we're in and give mm-hmm. them the motivation to find solutions to counter the issues that we deal with. There's a ton of them, man. I think any book by uh, Chancellor Williams or John Clark or um, who else? Uh, Amos Wilson. Um, uh, any book by Franz Fanon, Director of the Earth, in particular, um, Pedagogy of the Oppressed is another great book. Um, understanding the history and the importance of what we played in this American economy is a book called The Half That's Never Been Told by, I believe, Eric Baptiste. Um, Edward Baptist? Uh, yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a great new book. Uh, Eric, I think it's Eric, E-R-I-C-I-C. There's another great book of recent by um, a young brother. I can't remember his, his last name, but the name of the book is called Stamps from the Beginning. Um, you know, there's another great book that goes, shows the history of this country. Um, there's so many, you know. I mean, I, I think it's sort of like what John Clark said also. Understand the history of white people. There's a great book by Nell Painter called The History of White People that really uh, charts um, how whiteness even became, and particularly how it came in America. But, you know, really understanding your oppressor and your enemy is, 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 is also well worth, well, well worth your time into trying to figure out who you're dealing with and, and how to combat um, some of these, these systemic things that we get so used to that we sometimes are frustrated on how to um, overcome them. There's so many different books. Yeah, as I stated earlier, Neely Fuller Jr. book, uh, the yes, compensatory codes of, concept. I got, I got, I got both, both volumes of that book. Perfect, perfect. Also, the ISIS Papers by Dr. Francis Cress Wilson. Yeah, it's another, yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Black Wealth, White Wealth by uh, Thomas Shapiro and Melvin Oliver. That's a, a book about uh, wealth inequality. Um, the Warmth of Other Sons by Isabel Wilkerson talks about the migration from black people moving out of the south into the north. Mm-hmm. Uh, great book on that. Uh, and there's other books as well, but uh, um, those are the ones that I would suggest for the listeners out there to think about where our history is, I mean, what our history is, what our positioning has been in this country, and to give us some suggestions about what to do going forward. So, um, no, I, I agree. So, is there any upcoming events, uh, social media, or anything that you want to promote before we leave? 
no, I don't want to promote too much. It's critical, promote critical thinking and being aware. Um, I, I have a, a ton of heavy stuff that I'm dealing with from death penalty cases on down. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm just taking my time trying to figure things out and continue to be uh, in, in, influenced by the world and, and well-informed and, and to grow my perspective. And, um, you know, I, I wish everyone well. Um, freedom isn't free, and it's not an easy thing. you got to work towards it. Yeah, as I, as I said in my email, when I first heard your interview on Tax Stone's podcast, it really, it really, it really uh, motivated me to learn more about you and to uh, get some more information about you, and I'm glad I had a conversation with you today. No, me too, brother. I appreciate it. And if I'm ever in the, down in Florida, I'll give you a call. And actually, yep. you know what? Actually, there is there is something. I, I don't know if you're in the Miami area. Are you in the Miami area? Originally, but I'm in the Tampa Bay area right now. Okay. Um, for those in the in the, in the Miami area, uh, my brother is having a, a a show, an art show at the um, in Overtown. Um, uh, uh, it's the Hampton Art Lovers um, Program, and the, and the artist is Philip Moytuck Shung. And uh, that's next week in Miami, actually. What's the name of the event again? It's the Hampton Art Lovers Show, and it's in Overton, um, Miami. Overtown? Overtown? Yeah, Overtown, yep. Yeah. Perfect, perfect. So if I'm ever in New right. York, uh, I'll, I'll yeah, try to Yeah, give me a call, man. Definitely. Perfect, perfect. It's been a pleasure. Perfect, thank you. All right. Thanks for watching this video. If you enjoyed the content, don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. Stay up to date for more videos by clicking the bell notification icon and following our social media. For any of the people, groups, companies, or videos that were referenced in this video, don't forget to check the description and or the pinned comment section. The question lane, solving problems through the process of questions and answers.